Welcome to the Life in the Red podcast presented by the Lincoln Journal Star, your source for Husker news, analysis, and more. From football in the fall to recruiting in the summer, we've got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Bassnett, Parker Gabriel, and Stephen M. Sipple. Okay, uh, sorry, I'm, people are texting right at the wrong time. Come on. Three, two, one. Welcome in, Life in the Red podcast. I'm Chris, there's Sip, there's Parker. It is 3.38 p.m. here on Wednesday afternoon, December 8th, 2021. Nebraska has an offensive coordinator. Nebraska has an offensive line coach. Nebraska has a men's basketball team that can't shoot the ball or play defense. We're going to talk about all three of those things today. We'll start with the big news of the day, which is, of course, uh, Nebraska making official the hires of Mark Whipple and Donovan Riola uh, as offensive coordinator and offensive line coach, respectively. Uh, it's exactly one month um, since the since Scott Frost fired his four assistants and, and had these openings on the staff. There's now one opening remaining on the staff. We'll touch on that a little bit, too, probably. But got three or four hired. Mickey Joseph, of course, last week, and now Mark Whipple and Donovan Riola. So, Parker, Sip, you guys have been on top of this from day one. I'll let you kind of take it from here, and you can take us through the process and how we got to – how we settled on these two names. Yeah, Parker um... – Go ahead, start it, start it off, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, well the first thing that happened, and, and I think we've podcasted one time where Mickey Joseph was on the radar screen uh, last week, but it hadn't been formalized yet. That was when we, when we podcasted last week. So that was announced on Friday, pretty much finalized Thursday night uh, and announced Friday morning. And then it was actually a similar timing mechanism this week where we knew about – uh, Mark Whipple and Donovan Rayola. We knew a lot of his candidates over the weekend, uh, for sure. Rayola even going back further than that. Um, and then uh, got wind. It actually sort of started in a weird way yesterday when the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette reported that Mark Whipple had resigned um, as Pitt's offensive coordinator. And of course, they just won the ACC title on Saturday night, and they're going to a bowl game, and Kenny Pickett's a Heisman finalist, their quarterback. Um, so it was interesting timing when he resigned. We knew he was one of the two uh, main targets along with Graham Harrell. And so when he resigned, it was pretty much, oh, well, we know who they interviewed this weekend. We know um, that it's probably going into negotiation phase. And then here is a guy resigning from his current job, sort of all lined up. By the evening, um, we had a pretty good handle that it was happening and it got announced this morning. So it's very interesting. We can talk about the hires in general. We can talk about Mark Whipple's timeline, which was super interesting. Um, oh, it just been a wild ride for him um, from Saturday night onward uh, to now being Nebraska's OC. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really it's really interesting, simple. And it's an interesting pairing with Mark Whipple, who's 64, 40-year coaching veteran. Um, he's coached at all levels, basically. He's been a head coach. Um, two different stints at the Division One level. He's coaching the NFL, Coach Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. And then uh, Donovan Rayola, who's 38 and has not been at every level and has doesn't have a world of experience. So it's a very interesting duo that they formally uh, hired this morning. Okay, you know, there's a lot we know. There's, there's one question somebody asked me today that I ac- actually – couldn't answer and I didn't even try to fake it like usual um <laughs> that the how did Frost get on to Whipple 
Like, was there a previous relationship um, or is it, was it simply, wow, look what, look what Pitt's doing on offense. Look what Kenny Pickett's doing. Let's give him a try. Yeah, that is a good question. And I do not know the answer. The, the most direct connection that we found so far is that Mark Whipple, who's 64, attended Brown University at the same time as Ron Brown, who obviously is a senior offensive analyst for Nebraska, longtime Nebraska assistant, all of that. They're about the same age. Um, they went to college together. Now, whether that was the genesis for the relationship or not, that's one of the things I'm very interested in learning um, from any combination of uh, Scott Frost and, and Mark Whipple uh, when we talk to either of them. Or Ron the Brown. Or Ron yeah, Brown, for I'm that talk- Yeah, I'm talking to Ron Brown on, on Friday. Now, Ron Brown was a – yeah, they were teammates. They were football right. teammates. Football so, teammates. Yeah, um, we'll see. There, I, I wonder if that's it. I mean, I wonder if that's the connection. That Ron Brown said, "Hey, I've known Whipple since we were were young guys," uh, but I'd like to know that the Donovan Rayola connection is obvious. Mickey Joseph's pretty obvious, right? I mean, Bill yeah. Bush coached with him. I wonder how much if there was any influence there. Bush, Bush, and Mickey are are tight. Um, so that 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 makes sense. And like I said, Donovan Rayola obviously makes sense. Um, <laughs> in part because of, you know, there's, there's frequent contact with Nebraska and the Rayolas because of Dylan Rayola, the quarterback. So there you go. Yeah, um, it is. It all, I mean, go ahead, go, Parker. Go no, ahead. go ahead, Sybil. Well, it all fell together pretty fast. I mean, considering they, Pitt was playing on Saturday. I mean, you've, you've talked about this. Pitt was playing Saturday. Whipple was in the Phoenix area on, on Sunday visiting Chuba Purdy the quarterback and, and interviewing with Nebraska, Nebraska interviewed. I mean, it's really interesting to me, Nebraska on Sunday, this is only Wednesday, Nebraska on Sunday was interviewing Whipple and Graham Harrell. Um, and now, you know, they got, they obviously settled on Whipple. The only other, the only other connection that I wonder about with the, in terms of Whipple is Mike Tomlin, you know, he was on the staff, he was on Whipple was on the Steelers staff. I believe it was the last three years of Bill Cowher's tenure there um, before Tomlin took over. Tomlin was a defensive coordinator. And obviously Tomlin is someone that Scott Frost thinks really highly of. They've been in similar circles um, in when, when Scott was in the NFL. So that would be the only other sort of natural endpoint there. And it all, basically adds up to this, which is, you know, Whipple is the kind of guy that Frost outlined on November 10th when, when we talked to him about firing his decision to fire four coaches. Um, he's a guy who, as much as Frost is willing to, Frost can sort of turn over the keys to the offense to Mark Whipple. He's been in the game for 40 years. He obviously knows what he's doing. Now, I don't think Frost is going to entirely give up, become a ghost in the offensive meeting room. There's just no way that's going to happen. Um, but I'm interested, and it's kind of early, I think, to really get into scheme and how that all lines up. But it's thrown the ball a lot. Um, and in fact, in acknowledging 
Whipple's resignation yesterday before the reporting about Nebraska, Pat Narduzzi in a, in his statement, sort of thanking Whipple for his time at Pitt said the one thing he said about him was that he'd been an asset to the program. And then, then the specific was he helped turn us from one of the most run heavy offenses in the country into a dynamic passing team. And so I, Nebraska fans don't want to hear that Nebraska is going to throw the ball 65% of the time in the big 10 West. And I don't think they probably will. Um, but that's Whipple's calling card is the passing game and it's quarterback development. And that's, that's his strong suit. That's what Frost went out, found and said, this is what I want to add in an offensive coordinator. What do you think, Baz? What do you think of the hires? Oh, terrific. I, I don't see anything less than 10 wins next year and 500 <laughs> yards of offense per game. No, it's I, Parker kind of already touched on it, but I thought that, that quote from Narduzzi was really interesting, turning them from a run-heavy team into uh, the, the passing attack that they are. I think, I think hiring Mark Whipple gives Scott Frost somebody he can lean on for advice uh, as a head coach, obviously a guy that's done it a long time. And if, if Scott is going to transition more of a CEO role and an overseer role, boy, it's nice to have a guy like Mark Whipple on the staff who's done it at, as Parker said, every single level, you know, and done it at the highest level in the NFL, not as head coach, but as an assistant, obviously a head coach in, in college and a, and a high level assistant. So it's, it's, I think it's good for a lot of reasons. We saw what happened with Pitt's offense this year, and it took a couple of years for Mark Whipple to get it there. He, he may not have a couple of years at Nebraska. We'll see. But it, it kind of makes sense from that standpoint. If, if you're talking a timeline to, to get this turned around or not, I think you, if you're Mark Whipple, you're 64 years old, you, you go into it knowing you might only get one year, but you're going to make almost twice as much money probably as you made at your last stop. And if it works, great. Stick around for a couple more years. If not, well, gave it a shot. I made a lot of money. So I wonder how much that was a part of it too. I don't know, but yeah, it's, I, I like, I like the Mark Whipple hire. I think it makes sense on a lot of accounts. Scott Frost talked about bringing in outside voices, outside perspectives to help with the offense. And certainly this is that an, an East coast guy, a New York native. He's, he's spent pretty much his entire career in the Eastern United States. Now he comes out to Lincoln with, with some different ideas and some different ways for Nebraska's offense to attack. So in a way, I guess Scott kind of hired a guy that that kind of followed what he told us he was going to do when, when he first laid all this out. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what, I, I really like all three hires. I understand the reservations with Donovan uh, Rayola to a certain extent, to a certain extent. I mean, I don't know people. I mean, I, I hear people poking holes in Whipple and I don't even know them. Then what are you like? What are you supposed to hire at that point? I mean, they're, yeah. he, he's one of the hottest offensive coordinators in the country. You know, it's amazing. I, I understand like yeah, at three ahead, and nine, I know, I know at three and nine, like there's, there's obviously me questions. That's fine. But the, all, all I heard through this whole thing in my Twitter mentions, which is not probably a great place to pay attention anyways, but like was don't like Whipple, don't like Harold, don't like Brent Davis from army. Don't like, Ruggiero at Wake Forest. It was just like, no, no. Don't no. like, like Belichick. Don't yeah, like yeah, right. Yeah, don't like Saban. <laughs> and then the two answers that usually got yeses were like Chad Morris and Tom Herman. It's like, okay, I mean, I guess if you, you know the name. And that's what I mean, a lot of people like, that is what the proof is going to be in the pudding, first of all. Um, it's going to work or it's not. 
Um, but people like names they haven't heard of. And, and Mark Whipple sort of burst onto the scene this year. Um, Donovan Rail obviously has a connection, which seems to be a point of detraction for in some people's eyes uh, for some reason. But so I'm, I'm sorry, Sipple, I cut you off. So please. No, please you're fine. No, you're fine. Donovan. Well, the Donovan, what the concern is, is his resume is a little light, um, especially compared to Jeff Quinn, the Notre Dame offensive line coach, who, who did produce three draft picks in 2021 and, had, and is 59 years old or 58 years old. Um, but Donovan, I think, the, on the other hand, Donovan coaching in the NFL for four years matters. That matters in a, in a variety of ways. It matters because of the level of preparedness you have to have. Um, the NFL is a very cutthroat environment. Um, he was heavily, he's heavily involved. I hear, you know, I hear people say, well, he is an assistant offensive line coach. Why couldn't he get away earlier for a interview? I mean, come on, he's working 14 hours a day. Those guys, if you're on an NFL staff, you're not jacking around. Um, so there's that now. He, so I like the NFL picture. I like the fact that he is um, the demeanor part of it is good. I think he's a Rayola and all that entails, you know, if you know, Dominic, what I've been told is they're very similar and Dominic burns really hot, you know, um, played with a lot of fire at Nebraska Remington trophy winner went on to play. Well, he went on to start uh, 12 or 13 seasons for the Detroit lions. Um, and so now th this is not just a guy who's all about emotion. He's a technician. In fact, I saw his presentation that he gave to Frost, and it's really detailed. It's fascinating to read. Um, he's a very detail-oriented technician because you have to be in the NFL. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he, he does emphasize that we're going to be, you know, we're going to be very physical in everything we do. I mean, I remember Dominic distinctly telling me a few years ago, and I was fascinated by this. He said he didn't want to lose in walkthroughs. He went through walkthrough like it was a game, like, and it was it would piss guys off. But that's the kind of the Rayola way. Um, and I think his brother is, like I said, his brother is. Well, Dominic has told me his brother is very similar, if not a little crazier. It's interesting. <laughs> that's be interesting. The first time we talked to him, uh, the the thing about Rayola is I don't I, I don't at this point, probably four years in the NFL. I mean, if you make it four years in the NFL as a player, you can play. You can really play. If you make yeah. it four years in the NFL as a coach, you can really coach. Like, I don't – there's always a question about how a new guy is going to fit and, and scheme and, and how you go about teaching and all of that. Like, I don't doubt the coaching acumen at all with Donovan Rayola. What I'm interested in, what we just don't know at this point, is what he's going to be like as a recruiter. Now, you don't just walk into a right. place. Sometimes you do at the portal now, but you don't just walk into a place and land a bunch of guys, especially at a position that takes a lot of developing like the offensive line and get a couple of commits and say, look at me, I can recruit. I mean, it's a very long-term, that's a longer-term conversation. I do think, and this is probably a little bit more of a global part of this whole deal, but with Mickey Joseph on the staff, I do think that probably their recruiting operation is going to be a little bit different than it's been in the past. 
like certainly Donovan rail is going to have responsibility and it's going to be on him to help identify and, and, and land guys that can help them up front. But I, I do, I also wonder one of the things I'm interested in talking to Scott about is if they plan on continuing to recruit in the same way where each position coach is sort of responsible for all of his own guys, or if that's going to shift a little bit with the sort of caliber of recruiting recruiter that Nikki is um, with, you know, depending on what happens, like if Bill Bush ends up on the staff as a special teams coordinator, he's a very talented recruiter. Is it going to be a little bit more focused in that regard where it's sort of Fisher, Becton, Mickey, maybe Bill Bush as the thrust of the recruiting for every position rather than each guy sort of, you know, doing his own position. I, that That's to be determined, I think, at this point. Yes. Um. And then, yeah, so they still got us, they still do have a position to fill. And that's a pretty complex discussion in itself. The special, how they're going to handle special teams. I don't, Parker, you got into it on your story today. And it's, it's, there's a myriad things. There's myriad things they could do there. I think we agree just based on all the conversations we've had over the past couple of weeks, Sipple, that Frost probably feels like he needs to hire a special teams coordinator. Um, that, I mean, that it seems, it seems like he will, um, we don't know that for sure, but it seems like he will, right. He's going to hire a full-time special teams coordinator. Yeah. Well, they, ha- yeah, they, yeah. I mean, they kind of, they could stay the same, though. they have one essentially. Um, see now what, what are we, it's really a nuanced discussion. Well, you're talking today. about Bush or you're talking about Dawson? Well, Dawson is one. I mean, he coaches outside linebackers too. So, but what we're talking about with Bush is perhaps hiring a guy like Bill Bush, but he would also have to coach a position. So it's not all that different. Yeah. Right. Would they hire, would they now, now would they hire another Bruce Reed who was a, who was a special teams coach only? And that's what the fan, that's what the fan base seems to want. Okay. Bruce Reed. Now I, now I'm not, I always, I've always felt that's a little bizarre and you'll find plenty of people in the football world who say not necessary to hire a guy who only coaches special teams. It's very appealing and it had to be very appealing. Well, I saw it. It's very appealing because I saw it in action. Bruce Reed made $400,000 a year and he coached 15 minutes of practice. And that's how special teams coaches all over America do it. They work for, they work on special teams for 15, 20, maybe 25 minutes. It's over. I, I watched a bull practice, the Foster Farms bull practice, because we could go, the media could go to the practice, and Bruce Reed coached for 15 minutes, got in his SUV and took off. And you know, it's a great gig, but it's a strange, it's a strange thing to me that people want that. If I'm a head coach, I'm having my special teams coach coach a position too, is what I'm getting at. It's interesting because if you look at Am I crazy? Oh. Well, no, no. It's interesting because like, if you take a, if you take like LeVar Woods, for example, at Iowa, that's all he coaches is special teams. And they're really good on special teams. The week before that, the week before Iowa showed again, it's vast superiority to Nebraska and special teams. We were in the press box in Madison at Camp Randall. And I didn't know off the top of my head. And I asked a guy I know up there, I said, Hey, how does Wisconsin do special teams? Do they have uh, do they have one, one guy that just does special teams and that's it. And he, this person said, yeah, um, his name's Chris Herring. 
special teams only. And then he sort of shrugged and said with, with mixed results over the years. So, I mean, the question to me is just about how do you solve the problem? Maybe it's with a coach who does only that. Maybe it's with uh, more emphasis or whatever with Dawson doing it, or maybe it's with a guy like Bill Bush, who's also coaching a position to you missed one thing. Maybe it's with a good kicker, a good punter, and good return men, because that masks a lot of problems. Bush would and, tell you, and not lining up in a punt protection right when you're on the left hash with the left. Right. Left. Well, that yeah, too. Also that that. too. Yeah. Yes. I mean, Jeez. so it's very interesting. There's a lot of we were talking about this though, simple. I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can skin this cat. It's just got to get skinned. I mean, you know, it could you could have Bill Bush and he could coach running backs. You could put the tight ends with the receivers with Mickey and move Becton to running backs. And then you've got one just for special teams. You could have Frost coach the running backs and Ron Brown be the meeting room guy analyst. You could promote Ron Brown and keep the special team structure you have. If you could convince Bush to stay another year as an analyst, which maybe, maybe not, um, you know, there's a lot of ways to go about it. I just don't think they've quite settled on what their approach in that regard is going to be. Uh, what, Baz, do you guys, what do you think? I was just going to say, what what do you guys think they will do? I kind of tend toward, to lean towards you guys where I think they probably will hire a special teams coordinator, but I don't know. Like, it, 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 I kind of – I could see it going both ways, and it's for everything you, you laid out. That obviously – Obviously, special teams need to get better, and you need better players, and you need better coaching, and maybe you need to spend more time on it, whatever it may be. But it just, like you guys said, it just comes down to how do you do that, and how do you get special teams to a place where they're competent? Let's start with competent uh, on a week to week basis. How about that? So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's what I believe wholeheartedly. You, I think you have to make Bush part of. Um, because of his recruiting ability, also his coaching ability, but um, his recruiting ability is if you have Mickey and, and Bush out on the recruiting trail, it's going to go well. Okay. So make him a part of it. He can also coach. I mean, I've, I, I talked about it, but it, I've, I, well, maybe I haven't talked about it, but it bears mentioning. Think about 2019 at LSU. Just think about this. Mickey recruited and coached the Bolitnikoff winner and Bush coached the Thorpe award winner. Okay. Um, Bush, Bush has the, the rare distinction and probably the only person in America who's recruited two first pick quarterbacks overall. And he, he recruited both of them. Alex Smith, San Diego was his area when he recruited at Utah and he was on Alex Smith before virtually anybody. He became a number one overall. And then that Joe Burrow has been at we asked was asked by Dan Patrick, did LSU find you or did you find LSU? And he said, Bill Bush found me. Um, that he he jumped on the table in the re, LSU recruiting room and said, if if we get Burrow, we'll win the national championship. And and he he made it happen. He had a relationship with Joe's brother who lived in Houston at the time. Relationship kind of a relationship with the dad, not, not real strong, but he coached Joe's brother. Um, so, so 
yeah, I mean, his, and it, and it just goes on and on. I mean, he's, he recruited Prince Ama Kamara, the last Nebraska's last first round pick that 2005 class of Callahan's he had a heavy hand in several guys in that class. So I just think you got to make him a part of it and make it work. I don't, I, I wouldn't overthink it. Um, there's a variety of things you can do in shuffling the staff, but I just wouldn't, I wouldn't make it harder than it is. I think what, what there's a, there's a, um, you never, if you're a head coach, if you're anybody in the world, you never want to, you never want to take someone's loyalty for granted, but if you just look at where they're at in their career, I mean, I think like Ron Brown has given a lot to the university and he's given a lot to Scott in terms of knowledge and all of that over the last couple of years on the, on the staff in an analyst role. I think he's probably the one of those two to have the conversation with of like, Hey, look, there's one spot we're going to hire Bill right now. And then we're going to figure it out if somebody leaves. Cause you don't know. I mean, there's going to be guys on the defensive side of the staff in particular and Sean Becton too, probably that schools are going to call in the next few weeks and see if they can move them, you know, see if they can get them to come to the staff at Miami or, or, you know, Florida or, or wherever. Um, and when that happens, if they were to lose somebody, I don't know that they will, but if they were to lose somebody, then if you've already got Bush in the fold, he's coached about every position you can coach on defense. You give him a position in, ter- in, in addition to the special teams, you elevate Ron Brown to running backs coach, you know, problem solved. It's not like they want to lose any of those guys. But I think if you ask Bush, and this is just speculation on my part, hey, can you just hang around for six or eight weeks to see if we lose anybody? Oh, I don't yeah. know how that goes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, so to me, like, that's, um, that's not, that's not necessarily the pretty part of the business, but you know, I mean, you're trying to figure out how to maximize uh, your resources and put the best staff together when you don't know exactly what the next few weeks are going to look like in other parts of the country. And you know, it's poaching season um, on the coaching front. Uh, Organizational comment. We're going to get to basketball. We have to wrap this up in 11 minutes. Um, We'll get to basketball, but real fast, Parker, um, they, they are in on miles Brennan, it, it might be their quarterback target, the former LSU quarterback who's in the portal, Miles Brennan. Yeah, you said it, you said it a minute ago. If Bill, Bush, if you have Bill Bush and Mickey Joseph out recruiting together, it's going to go well for you. Well, they were in Baton Rouge today to meet with Miles Brennan, who went into last season as LSU's starter as the sort of heir apparent to Joe Burrow. Um, he had a torn abdominal muscle, I think, in their fourth, third game of the year, missed the rest of the year, broke his arm before the season started this year and missed all of this season too. Um, he's one of the guys, they've got a kid um, coming in also from Akron for an official visit uh, this weekend named Zach Gibson. So it's, re- it's really interesting. There's a lot, you know, Mickey made about 20 scholarship offers in Louisiana um, over the 22, 23, 24 classes over the past couple of days. Um, they have a four-star guy who, you know, decommitted from USC, a defensive back named Jaden Gould, who just got done with a visit. There's a lot going on on the recruiting front. Um, But the quarterback situation in the portal, Miles Brennan being the headliner, and then Zach Gibson, yeah, maybe fitting into the picture somewhere as well. Um, It's it's pretty interesting. There's a lot going on on that front. Okay, Bass, last night at PBA, Nebraska, lost by 35 to 
Michigan, what was it, 102 to – 102-67 was the final yeah. score. Uh, most points scored by a Nebraska opponent in Pinnacle Bank Arena. One point off the largest margin of victory by an opponent in Pinnacle Bank Arena, also held by Michigan back in March of 2017. I mean, it was bad from the beginning. Um, Nebraska never led. Uh, I was tied at 13-13, and, and that was pretty much it. Um, and Fred Hoiberg said it after the game, his team quit. And that's – I wrote it in my game store. That's a pretty damn strong word to be throwing around when you – when you compete, when you're an athlete or when you're a coach at a high level, a division one level. And Fred Hoiberg is saying his team quit. It's the 10th game of the season. It was December 7th. Uh, it was their second conference game. They're, they're in a bad spot right now um, for a lot of reasons. Um, they can't shoot it. This was supposed to be Fred's best shooting team. As of today, of the 350 division one schools that – are not transitioning or are division one Nebraska ranks 346th in the nation in three point shooting percentage. They're ahead of four schools. They're, That's remarkable. Bass. It's remarkable. They're, they're ahead of Mizzou is the only power conference team behind them, which is also kind of remarkable, but they, this team can't shoot. It's it's, they had a stretch last night where they missed 17 in a row and 24 of 25 from three point range and they had done a good job of fighting through it. The previous few, the previous couple games, Indiana and NC state. And I think it just finally got to them last night. It affected the energy on defense. It affected everything. And it was bad. It's as bad as I've seen. My first season covering the team was 2016, 17. And it's, it's as bad as I've seen. Um, I saw that Michigan game back in 2017 where they won by 36 and that was bad. It was also in, at the end of the season, I believe it was the last game of the season, last home game of the season. Nebraska wasn't very good. You, 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 you kind of get why it happened. This one, this one's tough to, to understand why it happened. This, this team looked soft last night after not looking soft. It's previous two games, the, the, the inability to move the ball, the inability to, to play together, the, the lack of cohesion, it, it looks like a bunch of, of individuals out there right now. It, it looks like a team, and this is crazy to say, it looks like a team that hasn't been coached very well. And that's just crazy to me to say when you when we consider the fanfare that Fred brought with him when he was hired uh, a couple of years ago. It's just, it's remarkable how, how this team looked last night. It's remarkable how this team's looked at home. Let's think about that. They lost on opening night at home to a low major team, Western Illinois, on their home court. They were behind 19 points in the first 10 minutes against their biggest rival on their home court, and they laid down and didn't fight last night on their home court. There just doesn't seem to be a sense of urgency, a sense of fight. You know, Fred Hoiberg last night said everything's on the table the next couple days as they get ready to go take on Auburn. That's number 18 Auburn, by the way, in Atlanta on Saturday. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's not getting any easier. Uh Um, It's it's just – it's remarkable that it has somehow – gotten worse since the first night of the season it's you know I, it was I, it's hard it's hard to even wrap your mind around what, what yeah you know what's like. really interesting there's interesting things in sports um think about think about nebraska as has, it has been a poor shooting team really since fred got here that's fred's deal i mean fred's a fred was a fabulous shooter in college and the nba 
He's an, his offensive acumen is why he's being paid a lot of money. And they're a terrible offensive team. Now, it's interesting to think about Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker at Michigan State. Mel Tucker's a def, defensive backs coach. That's what, he, that's what he came up as. Michigan State ranks 130th nationally in pass defense. It, some things don't add up sometimes. I mean, how yeah. does Michigan State? Well, the one thing that adds up about it, Baz, here's what it is. It's not hard. It's a recruiting issue. It's not, it's not, you don't recruit guys at the college level, bring them in. Coach K doesn't bring guys in and say, okay, I'm going to teach this guy to shoot. You bring in, you bring in shooters. Yeah. Uh, you can, if you can, you don't develop if you can, shooters. Yeah, exactly. This is a, this is, this is a recruiting issue. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the long and short of it. No, I, I, yeah. It's sometimes you, you can make this game complicated. This isn't hard. This isn't hard. And Nebraska's got a, a shoot first point guard and Alonzo Verge. Um, and that's, that's a whole other topic. I know he's a very pol- polarizing player. He does a lot of good, a lot of bad, but these guys were supposedly recruited because they can shoot, but you start to dig into it. And CJ Wilcher didn't play much last year. This is Kesey Tominaga's first year of division one basketball, you know, Lat man has just struggled mightily. Most for most of for the most part, since he got here after not playing much at TCU, uh, in his first division one stand, these guys are supposed to be great shooters and they just, they haven't been, they haven't been able to make the adjustment to, to the highest level of college basketball. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Sip. It's, it's a recruiting issue as much as anything you said, you, you don't bring these guys in thinking you, that they're going to magically turn into shooters. And if you're, if that's what you're doing, that's a pretty flawed way of recruiting your team. If you're going to build your team around shooters and bring guys in that you think you can teach, you're in for what what you got last night, and you're in for a team that ranks near the bottom of the country in three point shooting. So, yeah, Nebraska's got problems. They got real problems, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure where how you fix them. How do you fix them in two days before you get on a plane and fly down? Well, to the, the one thing, Baz, the one thing I say, I, I'm going to interject, and I know that it feels like the sky is falling, but there's also this happens in sports. Teams get whipped. Um, sometimes they don't show up. This could be, I mean, this team did show up against North Carolina State and it fought, fought, fought into four overtimes. It fought at Indiana, it played good defense at Indiana. This could just be a bad night, a real bad night. Um, and they could come back against Auburn and and kind of reset themselves. Um, I'm not, I'm not burying the team. There's just you can't do that. I've I've done that too many times and it came back to bite me. Um that you can't do it. It might've just been a really bad night for whatever reason, you know, step. I don't disagree with you, but I think we said that after the Western Illinois game too. And we said that after yeah. the Creighton game too, you know, how many yeah. bad nights can you have before that's, that's who you are. And again, I'm not, I mean, you might be, you might be right. They might find a way to turn it around, but they have one game left on their schedule against a non-power conference team. Uh, Kennesaw state on December 22nd. So if you're going to figure it out. You're going to be doing it against the big boys and at five and five, oh, and two in the big, in the big 10, if they do find a way to turn it around, that's a hell of a coaching job by Fred Hoiberg. And that's a hell of a job by those players to, to pull out of, of this morass that they're in right now. So we'll see where it goes. These, these next few days will be very interesting. The next couple of weeks will be interesting. You get into December and, you know, they play on the 11th and they have eight days off. They don't play again until December 19th uh, after Saturday. So then you play December 22nd. You don't play again until January 2nd. So there's going to be a lot of time to try and figure these things out. So we'll see what it looks like. 
it was pretty pretty low last night, about as low as well, as low as I've seen Fred Hoiberg since he got here. And they've got some issues they need to get fixed. So all right, we need to get going. Right. Yeah, we need. Thanks to get everybody going. for tuning in. Uh, a lot of information to cover in a short amount of time. We thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next week.